Over here, Billy. You have a radio show today? Yes, 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 it's The Earth Wants You. But it still wants us. The Earth Wants You. I don't know if it's acting like she wants us anymore. There's Reverend Billy, and I'm Savitri D. Reverend Billy. We're here. We made it. Phew. Oh, oh man. Welcome, listeners. Uh, today, climate, 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 climate. Toxicity. <laughs> We're going to climb the mountain of the climate. Toxicity, people. radioactivity. We have Claire Farrell from the Extinction Rebellion. We have David Attenborough from Poland at the COP24. Shake it off. Shake it on. Got a lot going on today, and it's It's mainly Earth, Earth, Earth related. Uh, We're here in Brooklyn, New York. If you hear the sound of children, it's because they are outside. What kind of life do they have to look forward to? A good life, a good life, because a life of service is a life well lived. We're going to live in some kind of harmony with the earth. We can do it, children. Earth, alleluia. Earth, alleluia. We can survive. It's a little hard to imagine that right now, to yes, be frank. It yes, it is. And please don't say, to be frank, because... And when any politician says, when to any be frank... human says... They're lying. They're lying. If, if anybody says, to be clear... That's a damn lie. We know that. Amen. We're, we're, we're drowning in a superstorm of damn lies here, mm. people. But let's go to David Attenborough, who gave a remarkable speech. He broke through the lies. At the opening of the COP24 in Poland. Check it out. Check it out. You'll David recognize the voice. You'll recognize the voice. Right now, we're facing a man-made disaster of global scale. Our greatest threat in thousands of years. If we don't take action, the collapse of our civilizations and the extinction of much of the natural world is on the horizon. The United Nations provides a unique platform that can unite the whole world. And as the Paris Agreement proved, together, we can make real change happen. At this crucial moment, the United Nations has invited the world's people to have their voice heard by giving them a seat, the people's seat. The people's seat gives an opportunity for everyone to join us here today, virtually, and speak directly to you, to you, the decision makers. The world's people have spoken. Their message is clear. Time is running out. They want you, the decision makers, to act now. They're behind you, along with civil society represented here today, supporting you in making tough decisions, but also willing to make sacrifices in their daily lives. To help make change happen, the United Nations is launching the Act Now bot, helping people to discover simple everyday actions that they can make, because they recognize that they too must play their part. The people have spoken. 
Leaders of the world, you must lead the continuation of our civilizations and the natural world upon which we depend is in your hands. That I would have to change, but do I have to die? Die to change, change, change. Climate changed you. Climate changed you. When the flash flood makes you scream. Climate changed you. Climate changed you. When the drought dries up your dreams. Climate changed you. Climate changed you. With three cousins underground. Climate change you. Climate change you. When the springtime made no sound. Well, I always knew that you would have to change. But do you have to die? Die to change, change, change. Climate change. Changed us. Changed us. When to be is not to be. Climate changed us. Climate changed us. When the sunshine hates us skin. Climate changed us. When no God would let us in. Well, I always knew that we would have to change. But The most authoritative voice on earth has spoken. It is time to act. It is time to act. It's the end, and I know that I know that he is channeling the ancestors. He's got coming through him. His father, Rachel Carson. He's got. (laughs) um, It's funny. I don't think of David Attenborough as someone who is channeling the ancestors, but. What Wangari Mathai. Well, we're we're talking today about Extinction Rebellion. We're talking about David Attenborough with his wonderful accent. He's introduced much of the world to much of the Western world who are stuck in their recreation rooms to the Earth. The uh, Nature series on BBC is and just, our listeners uh, should know that David Attenborough has been criticized over the years for not making a political statements about. Uh, climate about extinction about these issues on which he does appear to be the world authority so the most trusted you know person so um, I really applaud him for uh, stepping up putting himself out there and uh, saying what needs to be said in that remarkable voice of his and now we turn to news from the natural world Savage 
Hello. Have you got the news for us? The G20 uh, met this week in Buenos Aires. Uh, their new statement, agreed upon by 19 countries, recognizes, quote, that the Paris Agreement is irreversible and commit to its full implementation, reflecting common but differentiated responsibilities and respective capabilities in light of different national circumstances. We will continue to tackle climate change while promoting sustainable development and economic growth. The United States uh, had its own section in the statement. Shame! Quote, the United States reiterates its decision to withdraw from the Paris Agreement and affirms its strong commitment to economic growth and energy access and security utilizing all energy sources and technologies while protecting the environment. Guess what? You can't do both. <laughs> we reiterate our, our commitment here in the United That's States right. to, to war lying. and permanent uh, war. Permanent war. Okay. Monsanto's toxicity. Okay, Billy, Billy, we're back to the news. Uh, COP24 <laughs> is a major climate meeting, and it is underway now in Poland. More than 22,000 delegates from nearly 200 countries are in Katowice, Poland, a I hope I'm saying the city name right. Katowice. I'm sure that's incorrect. A city as closely tied to the carbon economy as almost anywhere on earth. Katowice is the capital of Silesia, the heart of the coal industry in the country, with Europe's worst air, mostly due to its continued reliance on the fuel, coal, for everything from massive power plants to basement furnaces. The COP24 meeting is being sponsored by two power-generating companies and Europe's biggest producer of coking coal. The venue for the December 2nd through 14th conference sits on the site of an old coal mine, and its design was inspired by mining culture. The predominant color inside and out is anthracite, and the hallways and meeting rooms have irregular angles meant to resemble mine shafts. 15-minute drive to the south is the Wujek mine, the site of violent strikes during the solidarity protests against <laughs> communism, which had been churning out coal since 1899. So, yeah! the contradictions do not escape us. Moving on. Marine organisms accumulate billions of tiny plastic particles in their tissues within a few hours of exposure to plastic pollutants at levels similar to those in the ocean. Okay, within a few hours, marine organisms accumulate billions of tiny plastic particles. Forest fires in California this year released carbon emissions equivalent to the amount produced to power the state's electricity for one entire year. In a new study, scientist Brian Ferguson argues that war may not be in our nature at all. People might fight and sometimes kill for personal reasons, but homicide, he argues, is not war. There is definitely controversy in the field when it comes to this question, says the scientist, but it is the overall circumstances that we live in that create the impulse to go or not go to war. There is no scientific proof that we have an inherent propensity to take up arms and collectively kill. The yeah. study reached back thousands of years to look at the historical roots of warfare to shed light on whether humans have always made war or if armed conflict has only emerged as changing social conditions provided the motivation and organization to collectively McDonald kill. Douglas. President Trump has okayed seismic tests for oil in the Atlantic Ocean. Trump's administration announcement on Friday that it plans to allow oil-seeking seismic surveys across an enormous swath 
of the Atlantic Ocean will be the first time in decades that is permitted. The move, which would allow five companies to conduct the tests in water spanning Delaware to Florida, marks the most significant step since the 70s to open the Atlantic to drilling, though several steps remain before such production might begin. Seismic surveys are believed to be particularly harmful to marine life. The tests involve repeatedly blasting, deafening booms underwater, often second apart for months at a time. Whales and dolphins, as well as other underwater creatures have especially sensitive hearing and environmentalists fear the test will injure or kill thousands of the mammals as well as fish. Mm. Surging power bills and the falling price of solar panels have pushed more than one-fifth of all Australian homes to install photovoltaic systems. And new studies of cave art dating back to the Paleolithic indicate much of it was done by women, not men, as is commonly believed. Sounds familiar. Uh, Flint Mayor Karen Weaver, Flint, Michigan Mayor Karen Weaver is set to announce Tuesday that city officials have excavated and replaced all of the lead and iron pipelines one year ahead of time in in a city still stung by the aftermath of the contaminated water crisis. Amen. Rising ocean temperatures and acidification are known to be altering the way fish grow and reproduce. And now research shows these climate change side effects may also change how fish think and act. A recent study has found that sharks in Port Jackson have become right-handed when incubated at the kind of temperatures projected to prevail by the end of this century if climate change continues at its current pace. Handedness, you know, sharks don't have hands, but handedness is a function of lateralization, the tendency for one side of the brain or the other to take over specific tasks. This delegation of responsibilities is believed to help humans and many other animals free up brain space for other tasks, at least partly by automating some behaviors that can increase survival efficiency. For example, A default preference for swimming in a certain direction helps fish form schools and find food. Although global warming will likely be negative for large numbers of sharks, the cognitive boost offered by lateralization may turn survivors into sharper, fast-learning predators. So sharks are likely to become even more intelligent due to climate change. That means you humans, watch out. They're coming for you. Okay, and oh, here God. in an, an exceptional uh, reading for news from the natural world, I bring you a piece whole from the Vancouver uh, area of British Columbia, British Columbia, Canada. Here we go. Tom Sampson, an elder with the Sartlip First Nation, stood before the National Energy Board last week and sang a prayer song in the language his grandmother would sing when someone died. He was singing... For Taliqua, a member of the J-Pod of killer whales, who this summer carried her dead newborn calf in the waters off of southern Vancouver Island for more than two weeks in an apparent display of grief. The mother whale, part of the endangered southern resident killer whale population, was delivering a message, he said. Something is wrong with what we are doing. The National Energy Board panel is reconsidering the Trans Mountain Expansion Proposal. This is a giant pipeline. After the Federal Court of Appeal in Canada overturned Ottawa's approval of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. Unlike the first hearings, the plight of the whales is at the core of this review. The appeal court judges in their ruling last August concluded the federal approval for the project was based on flawed advice. 
because the National Energy Board deemed the impact of oil tanker traffic from the project through the waters where the southern resident killer whales spend much of the year to be outside their scope of review. So they thought, oh, that doesn't matter. We're not going to even consider that. Now listen, Mr. Sampson Song, the elder of the Tartlip First Nation, underscores his people's connection to the southern resident killer whales who they fear will be wiped out by the increased marine traffic that the pipeline expansion would bring. The Sartlip elders told the National Energy Board their stories of how they are related to the whales, how they thank them for safe passage when they travel by water with an offering of salmon, how they show respect by traveling quietly in the whales' territory, Mm. how they pray to them Mm. and celebrate when the whales return in May to Brentwood Bay in their community. Another elder, John Elliott, challenged the three-member panel. He said, will you let them die, the last of them? Will you let them die, the last of them? Or are you going to do something about it? And that, my friends, news from the natural world today. Thank you very much for listening. an extinction rebellion it surely is it surely is extinction wisdom life wisdom that's right and now let's go to claire on the phone let's get claire farrell on the phone because she's got a lot to tell us about the extinction rebellion so today we're very happy to have with us claire farrell of the extinction rebellion and to give you a little history uh the Extinction Rebellion is a growing social movement uh, that started in England. Uh, they, they declared their rebellion on October 31st, um, and they had a list of demands. And, and, but I really love their an initial statement. On October 31st, we will, in accordance with our conscience and a clear duty to our children, our communities, this nation and planet, declare a nonviolent rebellion on behalf of life itself and against our criminally negligent government. Our government's abject failure to protect citizens and the next generations from unimaginable suffering brought about by climate breakdown and social collapse is no longer acceptable. We cannot stand idly by and allow the ongoing destruction of all we love. Our hearts break and we rage against this madness. We have a right and duty to rebel in the face of this tyranny of idiocy. We have a right and duty to rebel in the face of this tyranny and idiocy. In the face of this planned collective suicide, join us. If the government does not respond seriously to our demands, civil disobedience will commence from 12th of November. Now is the time because we are out of time. There is nothing left to lose. It is our right and our duty to follow our conscience and rebel. And then Claire Farrell, who will be with us today, I'm very excited, says this. Uh, For those of us who may think this isn't our issue, I'd suggest they may feel differently in the face of mass crop failures and vicious spikes in food prices. Thanks to the political choices made in our lifetimes, many of us are struggling to make ends meet. But how would we cope with scarcity, lack, and a weak, unsupportive society when our weekly shop doubles in price? Choices have consequences, and people have made them to bring us here. It is time for different people to make new choices. A more inclusive and generous future has to become a possibility. We must be willing to create it. Our children's lives depend on it. Oh, that's wonderfully 
articulate, powerful, and very sad, but very encouraging. <laughs> we will join these people. Yes, the Extinction Rebellion. Have. And I'm very happy uh, that we have Claire Farrell on the phone, one of the many founders of the Extinction Rebellion. She joins us from London. Welcome, Claire. Good to have you with us today. Hi, guys. earth So the Extinction Rebellion, which is just full steam ahead, tell us, how did you start the Extinction Rebellion and why? Okay, so this, this rebellion has been born out of um, a a group of decentralized um, activists called Rising Up, based in the UK, mostly. Um, and the idea behind it was the, uh, a decentralized network working across um, loads of different issues around what needs to change, system change, ecological uh, breakdown versus protection, all of these kinds of pressing issues that it, it would be really cool to galvanize uh, a network around uh, one movement and overarching like all of our kind of like social and political issues at the moment is obviously this kind of like very real threat to our survival total. Mm-hmm. Um, so to take climate change, but not only climate change, to add in the extinction crisis that we're living through and, um, you know, to, mm-hmm. to kind of also to shift the Overton window on this conversation suggests that, you know, human extinction is actually a possibility and it, and it is quite possible that it could happen because of our actions, basically, uh, because of our inaction, I guess. So you saw this need and then you started this movement. Tell us about what's happened so far. Yes, yeah, so the um, the group have always been focused on um, forms of disruptive civil disobedience um, as as a type of direct action to um, elicit change, and as like something that the history books shows us has worked in the past. Um, and we wanted to try to um, bring out onto the streets lots and lots of people who feel disillusioned with the environmental movement. Um, who have not maybe felt that they have a place that's for them um, in existing kind of activism and also to kind of reframe um, direct action for uh, in a new way, which is, of course, like totally experimental and nobody knows how this is going to go, but to rather than get in the get the sand in the gears of something like the fracking industry, which people have been doing a fantastic job of mm-hmm. in this Amen. country, but, mm-hmm. to do, but to do something that directly faces the state instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's been built on a kind of community organizing model, lots and lots of meetings in like churches, village halls, community centers, universities, all of these kinds of places where you go and you get a room full of people. And we started this uh, touring, this talk earlier this year called um, Heading for Extinction and What to Do About It. Mm-hmm. And lots of people have lent their voice to that. So it's got several different versions that different people give. But the essence of it is to say, if you actually put together lots of the latest data, then you can see uh, that we're in an unprecedented uh, position in, in, the, in the sense of like the kind of the risk that we're taking and also the rapidity of like the effects that could take place within our lifetime. So within that, what would you be willing to do? And then framing a response as like, 
within the context of like virtue ethics, if you're sort of facing a planned genocide by your government, what would you be willing to do for that? And would you be up for giving up your liberty? Um, and would you be up for basically, uh, you know, peaceful law breaking? This is, this is so moving to hear you say this. And I know that there are people in every country, every town, every city, every, every farm. I mean, this is something that is in people. It is inside of us. Some part of us has a conscience that it comes straight from the life of the earth. And even the most right-wing apocalyptic Christians uh, still have that thing alive in us. What I saw in your in your wonderful documentary uh, was meetings in which people were coming to life, and that part of them, that part of their memory, that part of their ambition to live, that part yeah. of hope for their children, you could just see it coming to life in them, in their faces, in their body language. They were just starting to dance. There's, you're giving people yeah, hope, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I think I think so, and it's like and it's like not a false hope, right? It's not like it gives you five pounds of your money every month and then you can just go to sleep at night and everything will be fine. It's not the same thing. It's like it's like admitting that we're all part of the problem, right? And that's extremely painful because this situation is exacerbated by the food that we eat and the cars that we drive and everything about our lives. And acknowledging the the sort of massive shame that people feel around their part that they've played in this in this sort of horror show that we're living through mm. and and then and then allowing people to like settle in a space where where they're allowed to feel grief where they're allowed mm-hmm. to be emotionally moved by mm-hmm. that yes. you don't have to constantly just talk about the rationality of like you know what's the right thing to do in this context and right. you know lean into like leftist politics or lean into it's it's kind of much more interesting i think right now to to try to find people on a very human level and that feels to me like something that we're hopefully doing i agree okay job of i'm really interested in in the tactics i'm really interested in just going and gluing yourself to something to just blatantly and openly and directly just going and making a statement. Um, and so some of the things people have done, you know, just for our listeners, people have been gluing themselves to blank to bank buildings. They've been uh, writing and drawing on uh, public space. <laughs> They've been blocking bridges. Um, it's direct action in many different forms. Um, but one yeah. thing I see very clearly is there's no attempt to evade police, to evade the state, because as you said, you are interacting and directly confronting the state and their lack of action. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that tactic, how you've developed it, and if it's discussed amongst you. I know this is a um, you know decentralized and largely autonomous kind of movement building enterprise, but um, is this something you talked about beforehand? Um, are you directing people towards that kind of work? Yeah, so in, in Rising Up, there's a kind of list of guiding principles, and those include being responsible for your actions. So if you decide that it's the right thing to do to go and 
paint on a building or crack a window even, then that you have to stand by that and take the consequences of that. And if there's a legal consequence, then you should be willing to accept it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the principles allow people to um, effectively sort of uh, all take action, uh, allow people to take action without needing to get sort of permission, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, from any anywhere central. So it, if you if you look on the Rising Up website, you'll find like a, a list of principles, and there's I think there's ten, uh, and they include you know an absolute commitment to non-violence, um, <clears throat> no blaming and shaming. We don't call people out. And the non-violence is internal as well as external. So uh, if we're having an online conversation on a on a platform, let's say, or an email thread with lots of people on it, we don't uh, we don't call each other out in those spaces. We take things up personally with people on the phone or face to face. So there's, there's quite a lot of um, there's quite a lot of things built into this that sort of embeds. Uh, respect. Mm -hmm. Well, guess. the British are known for um, being very polite, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but you uh, you are using the word a word that is impolite. You are using a word that is so strong that even in the United States and in New York City, where we practice being discourteous all day long, yeah. uh, we. <laughs> The word extinction, Claire, that's, that's translated as, in my instant dictionary, in my head, you will die. That's something along those lines. How are people reacting to, um, you've got passersby and they're like, they're standing there and they see you go by, you've just, you they see you closing five bridges. We haven't talked about that yet, have we? Um, you know, they're they're witnessing you from their from their polite um, place, and you're using the word extinction. So, how are people uh, how are people taking that in? Well, it's interesting actually because there's quite a few people who've been um, who who were quite resistant to that name um, at the beginning. Um, there have been like a huge number of conversations about it, and I think um, I'm really, really glad that we stuck to our guns with the ones of us who thought that this was the thing to go with, because <clears throat> I do think it's important to like to open with that, and and I think that's been mm -hmm. part of something that really works about that talk, right? You say heading for extinction and what to do about it. It's right. like something very unexpected about presenting people with this kind of sense of abject mortality mm -hmm. and then like something that may give you hope. And, and, and we've been like interested in this term, hope dies, action begins. It's like, you know, hope hope without optimism mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I think some people are affronted by it, but I think it's extremely useful because, you know, we are losing life at a pace which is which is similar to, to that which um, occurs when we lost the dinosaurs, you know. So this is a very real part of the threat, and it's important for us that it's not a campaign about, quote-unquote, climate change. Right. Because that... I mean, you know, if you could fix that tomorrow, we'd still be in like really bad 
position. Yes. I wonder about, um, you know, the UK has often led the way in these movements. You know, I think about the anti-roads movement. I think about Reclaim the Streets. I think about, uh, you know, so much has come from the UK in activism. And there's there's so much work sort of on the front line of, of developing um, strategies and language around environmentalism and ecological awareness and crisis now. Um, and what do you think it is about the the English uh, soul that uh, that you are able to do that, that you come at it sort of in a funny way first? Yeah, I really, I honestly don't know. I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And I, there's some of our um, members uh, and people that have worked really, really hard on this who've um, dropped out of university to work on this full time. Um, and some people who've decided to... Uh, cancel their applications to university to work on it full time, these young people. And I know so one of them said to me that he'd kind of told one of his tutors that he was planning to do this and he was going to see in a year's time where he was at with it and whether he was done with it or not. And he may not return. Um, and I think they sort of said, well, that's very admirable and everything. But since when have we had a successful revolution in the UK? You know, what, what, what have we got in our history of that? I think people, I think British people kind of feel feel like that i think we feel we feel like we're sort of like not totally radical because the french revolution didn't happen here because all of those sort of things that you think are like hugely rebellious didn't really happen here but what we've got is this kind of like thriving creative um you know um underbelly to all of our kind of cultural um mm -hmm. all of our cultural world if you know what i mean and i, I think do. maybe it's partly that but but aside from that i don't really know um you call yourself conscientious <laughs> protectors. Um, and, you know, we yeah. spend some time out at Standing Rock with the water protectors. Would you talk a little bit about yeah. this idea of protection? Because I know sometimes it's a problematic concept for people, right? That, you know, oh, well, I don't need your protection or why are you protecting me? Or um, so, but I am super involved with this concept and, and invested in it. And I wonder what your thoughts about that are. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the... I think the idea of protection is an interesting one because it suggests obviously a sort of supremacy to the human species, which um, we might like to negate, but actually, <laughs> you know, we've, we've put ourselves in a position where I think we've kind of gone from probably being quite fearful of nature to one of kind of total all-out domination. Yes. And now that domination is so bad that we're like destroying it. There's a, there's a beautiful speaker, Kofi, um, from Africa who came to one of our events on Parliament Square. And he said he said this amazing speech, which was just, it was just heart-wrenching. And he said, we, ha we are holding Mother Earth down on the floor and we are disemboweling her. Oh, my God. And, um, and, and oh. I think that um, if you can recognize the violence you can recognize the need for protection perhaps mm -hmm. you know and that's mm -hmm. quite useful mm -hmm. yeah um this message is going out to people in different ecosystems we have uh taos new mexico and telluride colorado and we have fairbanks nice. alaska we have uh, the Bay Area, and there's no, there are we no have, exceptions. In every single one of these uh, places, uh, people are facing, uh, you know, real 
difficulty in yeah. their own life, but also the, the elimination of other animals and other creatures and other undiscovered life that we don't even know about. So I think it's becoming real to people and the, and the human chauvinism is, um, you know, staring us back in the face and we do have to confront it. What is in the works for Extinction Rebellion? What's coming up next? How can people participate? What can we do? Well, we're currently, I don't know um, the definite stats on this, but somebody told me the other day that we're already popped up now in about 30-something countries. So there's a good chance that there's a local-ish group um, that you could find somewhere in the in the world. I know there's several in the state, and um, there's people uh, organizing now in... Um, several African countries, there's people in Australia, people in India, um, France. So there's lots of ways that you can like probably go, just go online and look in your locality. And if you look on go, Google Maps, there's a, there's a way to find people by location by typing in Extinction Rebellion and, and some symbols should pop up on the map and show you where, you're, where you'll find groups. Um, and then those people can just be contacted to say, yeah, I want to help or I want to do some action. Um, there's an action happening uh, in two weekends' time in um, London, um, and that will be uh, national actions in the UK. So there'll be other ones around the country. I'm sure we'll be um, sending messages out to international people too to see if they want to do something pre-Christmas. And then there's a big uh, international kind of solidarity move for lots and lots of direct action next spring. So I think that's around April of 15th. Um, and that was always the schedule really to sort of um, create a kind of mini rebellion in the autumn and then a global one in the spring. So that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're headed for. I'm tempted, Claire, to... to uh to attend your uh, rally and march and whatever it becomes uh, in two weeks in London. Uh, but I'm in New York here, and I don't think I have time to get on a tramp steamer. Uh, <laughs> I'm, is it, tell me just straight across here, honestly, is it uh, too much of a contradiction to uh, fly to London to be in a Extinction Rebellion rally? Well, I don't know. That's the thing. I think it's up to people to decide that. So um, I think that's a decision that we don't want to make for people. There's quite a few of our team are going to COP, and the majority of them have caught the train. Um, but I know one or two of them may get a flight in one direction and do the train the other way. Um, I think this is what we try to be sort of super flexible on in a way, is like helping people to sort of make decisions for themselves on, on these fronts, if you know what I mean. I think, Claire, um, you've been really clear about how we are all of us compromised, right? And what we're negotiating with is the compromise and that sense of shame yeah. that people feel and then it paralyzes them because, of course, our, our puritanical Christian culture seeks out hypocrisy in a very specific way and shuts people down and this is one of the ways that we've been successfully like stopped over and over again is that we cannot speak unless we're perfect ourselves and that is just impossible at this point we are all of us 
engaged with an economic system called capitalism and there's no way out of it on earth at the moment as far as i can tell yeah well it does look that way and i think it's i think it's more important to um to to try and find new ways to to network and work together than it is to be totally puritanical about about any one aspect of, of this thing so obviously uh personally i would love it if you were in London <laughs> um, but I, I will leave that decision totally in your in your hands um, if you do arrive and someone says did you get on a plane that'll be fine if you did um, nobody will give you a hard time about it they'll just love you for coming I'm sure <laughs> I can just deny it you know I just Donald Trump is teaching us how to do this I can just I can just say that's all that's that's fake. I, I, I have I have relatives in London. I've been here for months, and I can just say anything. I, yeah, I, exactly. I'd like to um, uh, talk to you for about a a little bit of a. You know, we we have our Sunday Sunday uh, quote unquote church services right now in in uh, New York at Joe's Pub, and. Uh, we're uh, gradually uh, adopting the uh, Extinction Rebellion into our sermons and songs. You know, it's kind of creeping into our church, as it should. Fantastic. <laughs> and uh, I'm finding myself dealing with audiences that are, shall we say, uh, they're suffering issue fatigue. I have my, yeah. I'm against nukes, I'm against cruelty to animals, I'm Black Lives Matter, it just goes on and on. Uh, uh, and I'm trying to get people to think of life itself as being an issue that is inside of, it must be inside of every single issue, because without it, well, we don't know. The, plan, the planet is this rock this toxified rock is just spinning in space and it has much less life. Least yeah. of all, probably not many of us uh, in the form yeah, that we live exactly. now. So uh, people are, um, I see in their eyes, I see how they, they listen to that and it makes sense to them. It's a compelling thing to say. It's life and death. Uh, they had perked their life and death inside you know their their baby their favorite issue are you finding yeah. it, are you finding yourself reaching into people who already have their already have their issue staked out are you finding yourself yeah i mean that's the, well that's the that's the exciting thing about um about the way that we've organized so far i think in a way because we've reached lot obviously lots and lots of people who would call themselves activists or who have been campaigning frontline and you know there's there's tons of really hardcore people who care about loads of different issues who've come on board with this mm -hmm. but when i've held um when i've been to events and talks and we've been talking to people about coming on board with this often there's a lot of people in the room that are not uh not completely dedicating their life to an issue that relates to social justice or environmentalism or anything like that. Um, and, and some of those people, um, I've found feel, feel 
very, very upset and very powerless about what's going on. And often those people also don't have a space where they can go and talk about that in an honest way because they don't, their, their friends don't agree or they don't read the science or they're not thinking about it and the, and I think the, and I think the beautiful thing is when you take this to a kind of unexpected audience in a, in a village hall then you will find a number of people that come and say I'm so glad that you've just said that as if it's a rational like intelligent position to take mm. given mm. the information that we've all got all around us because people have been in a kind of state of sort of social denial about about how how bad the situation is and you know all this kind of rhetoric about we've got 10 years left to fix it or the latest one is we've got 12 years left to to, to fix it mm. we had 10 years about 25 years ago so let's get real like mm -hmm. there's this thing called reality mm -hmm. you can't just ignore it i know your president likes to think that you can, but you actually just can't, you no. know, um, at some point. And, and a lot of the people that sort of hear us say this stuff, if they're not already applying themselves to something which is attempting to make the world a better place, they're the people who I think this is, like, really valuable for because they don't have a home in activism yet um, or they don't have people that they can speak to honestly about how worried they are yeah um and i think that because it comes from quite an emotional place it also it also is kind of it is also offering a quite a radically different kind of conversation claire um, that's um, mm. so valuable and wonderful and um, and i feel i feel I feel people hearing us. I do too. And I'm I so grateful to you for you, your Claire. work. And please share our gratitude with the, the rest of your, the ocean. Uh, your family oh, and I friends will. there working. And we can't wait Earth to work with you. And, and uh, we're all in this together. And uh, so grateful for the Extinction Rebellion that it's happening. And um, please call on us anytime. And thank you for joining us today on The Earth Wants You. Well, thanks for having me, and we all love you too. <laughs> thanks well, for your work. Be careful out there. Take care of yourself. I yourselves. know we'll be together in some way, shape, or form. Thank you, Claire. Bye now. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, guys.
did we lose? Wild animals. Welcome back to The Earth Wants You with Savitri D. and Reverend Billy. We're a production of the Church of Stop Shopping here in New York. Extinction's Got Talent, and today, the Nightingale, praised in Keats' famous ode as pouring forth thy soul abroad in such an ecstasy. The Nightingale has flown into a British government cabinet-level fight over a proposed one billion pounds sterling housing development, which threatens the bird's most important site. The nightingale's song has been feted, but its numbers in the UK have crashed by 90% in the past 40 years. However, it has established a stronghold on a former Ministry of Defense site, Lodge Hill in Kent, once used to prepare soldiers for service in Northern Ireland and for bomb disposal training. But the irony eight- light goes on. Irony, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, irony, mm-hmm, irony. Mm-hmm. The 85 male birds that stake out their territory in the ancient woodland and scrub face the advance of property giant land securities, developing Ooh, the site the for devil. the Medway Council, which says that 5,000 homes planned and the associated jobs are badly needed. We cannot continue to pit jobs against everything that's against good, life against life itself it's just we can't do it anymore that can't work anymore let us hear the absolutely exquisite sound of the nightingale
<laughs> yes, Fetid Indeed. What a beautiful song. Billy, I turn to you now. We have, we have received such teaching in the last hour. There's, there's a, there's a, there's an ancestor facing us, asking us, what can we do? In Vancouver, here in New York, and in London, and then as we tour around the ecosystems and bioregions of this earth, so many of them injured beyond recognition, so many thousands of species, life forms, passed from us forever. We cannot live without life. And that's, that, is, that is an article of faith that has to come into the souls of the people that we're talking to as political representatives of life. With life, our first nation. Not the UK, not Canada, not the United States. But with life as our first God, government, culture, and economy. Life, the earth, our leader. We have to go to people and excite in them something that they might find counterintuitive at the time, but they might also. We're getting this experience now. They might also find that inside they had a dormant uh, earthaluya conscience that rose like a sunrise and delighted them. It was there. And it was, it was subjugated and, and canceled by the forces of all the jingoism that has been arrayed against life pouring out of the teleprompters and the trumps of this world, arguing that to be prosperous, we need to conquer nature, certainly in the United States with our manifest destiny idea. We're still finding ourselves in the momentum of the first pilgrims who confronted people who fed them at Thanksgiving and then made sure that their expansion, their fundamentalism, their intolerant conquering of nature and earth culture people went forward. We're at a turning point. We almost have forgotten what it's like to really respect that an emergency is taking place, to hear that planet crier, that ancestor, come among us, look us in the eye, and ask us, what can we do now? There is a life near us that we can save, and that life is our own life. The lives around us sustain us, and we sustain the life around us. Earthaluya, let's join this extinction rebellion together. Earthaluya, everybody, amen. Feels good. Let's live. Thank you, Reverend Billy. Thank you. I'm Savitri D. This is The Earth Wants You. We're performing currently in New York, if you're in the area, Sundays at Joe's Pub at 2 p.m. And you can check out this podcast and the many that preceded it anywhere that podcasts are available please share it with your friends tell us you like it 
connect with us, communicate, send Join us the letters, Extinction Rebellion. And do what you can do today. And then tomorrow, do what you can do tomorrow. <laughs> Amen. Earth Alleluia. Praise be.